everybody. Welcome back to day three of our Western States live interview show. You are listening to the Pillars podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Bowman. And today we're sharing another series of shorter but awesome interviews with some top athletes and interesting characters from this year's Western States 100. Today's guests in chronological order are Ragna Debats. Paul Lind, Mike McManus, the global head of sports marketing for Hoka, followed by 2019 women's champion Claire Gallagher, and we finish off with ultra legend Max King. And finally, at the end, we do some commentary, analysis, and prognostication about what we expect from this year's race and talk a little bit about the conditions that the runners will confront out on the Western States Trail. Of course, all these interviews are done with my co-host for the week, Corinne Malcolm. We've had so much fun doing this live interview show. We realized that yesterday we had some audio issues, but we are learning a lot and we really appreciate everyone's understanding as we try and figure this all out, but it's been so, so fun. Again, as a reminder, please do tune in to the race day live stream all day tomorrow, race day. Corinne and I will be on the microphones literally all day, starting at 4.30 a.m., and we really hope you'll join us for all, some, or most of your Saturday. It's going to be a ton of fun. On with the show. Here is day three of the Western States live show from Olympic Valley, Friday, June 25th, starting with Spain's Ragna Debats. Okay, we are good. We are live. It is day three of Western States Live from Olympic Valley, California. It is the day before the Western States 100. We are all so excited. After a year off, we are back here for North America's most important race. I am here with my co-host for the week, Corinne Malcolm. Corinne, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Happy to be here again. Yes, yes. And we are joined this morning by our first guest, from Spain, Ragna Debats. Ragna, we'll get to you in just a second. I just want to say a couple of thank yous to our sponsors before we get started. Number one, Hoka, of course, the race title sponsor, has pulled out all the stops to make our digital cover coverage of this year's race top notch. We are really trying to change the game of race coverage here in the sport of trail and ultra running. So thank you to Hoka for the support to make that possible. Thank you also to Buff, uh, another great supporter of the Western States 100 and of ultra running in general for making our coverage possible all week. Just a reminder, tomorrow, starting at 4.30 a.m., Corinne and myself will be having our coffees. We will be uh, filled with enthusiasm, and we will be covering the race nonstop throughout the entire day. So if you're watching this on YouTube right now, make sure you subscribe to the Western States YouTube channel so you don't miss any of the action tomorrow. Finally, before we get started, I just wanted to say we know we had a little bit of audio issues in yesterday's live stream. We apologize for that. We are learning. We are trying our best. We appreciate your understanding. 
we uh, are learning and we're, we're getting better. So we appreciate your feedback and uh, we uh, hope to do this a little bit better today. And also we had some feedback that you wanted to ask questions during our interview show yesterday. I now have the chat up on my computer. So if you wanna submit questions for Ragna and our other guests today, please do so in the YouTube chat and I will do my best to pull some of those out and ask our guests to help make it a little bit more interactive. Okay, on to our conversation, Ragna, welcome. It's very nice to see you. You are from Spain, it is your first time here at the Western States 100. Is it your first time racing in North America? And how's your experience been so far? Hello, good morning to everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm living in Spain, but I'm actually from the Netherlands. So that's one little correction. Um, yes, it's my first participation. Uh, it is uh, actually my first real visit to, the, to North America because I have been here a couple of times uh, in Montana, I raced there a couple of years ago and uh, Saranac Lake, but I, it was only just for racing. And this time I've been here like for a month uh, to see a little bit more of, of the country of some different states. And, and yes, uh, it's the first time um, uh, I'm running Western States. We're so excited to have you here with us this year. And it's my understanding that not only is this your first 100 mile distance race, but you only found out about a month ago that you had a bib into the race. How has that been making that kind of quick adjustment to be ready for this weekend? Uh, yes, um, it was just over a month ago, I think. But um, yeah, uh, I have been wanting to participate in this, this race for many years, but it's not so easy to get into it. So uh, I hadn't been lucky so far. And um, my chance was through uh, Ultra Trail World Tour. And um, yeah, in the end, uh, I, I, I became this, this bib and uh, it, the, the, the news, the message came through by email and I read it and I, and I was like cleaning my eyes again and I read it again and I was like, is this really, really true? And I, I'm getting goosebumps now because it was just like my dream to come here. And uh, yeah, it was true. I, I, I wrote actually an email like, are you, is this really what you wrote? <laughs> and five minutes later, I had the answer. Yes, I can confirm you have your bib. And uh, I was just so, so happy. <laughs> what a beautiful story and so well described. And uh, I love the, the goosebumps. I mean, it's, it's something that we all feel about this race as well. It's the most important race here in North America. Of course, you're uh, from Europe and have raced a lot in Europe and you've been the Skyrunning world champion. Skyrunning, of course, races that are a lot shorter, more technical, more steep than the Western States course. I think this is your first 100 mile race as well. How are you thinking about your skill set as a sky running athlete transitioning to a flatter, faster course here at Western States? Yeah, I guess it's quite a, a different race. I've actually done mm, different types of races, not only sky running and uh, mm, Actually, I am naturally more of a fast runner than uh, a sky runner, like a mm. steep running. So uh, for steep uh, mountain uh, races, I have to train a lot to get uh, the strength in my legs. And naturally, it seems that it is just easier for me to, to run fast uh, for a long time. So that is something I think uh, which works in favor for me during this race. 
Um, it's the longest distance, but uh, not the longest time or a similar time to other races I have run before. Uh, last year, for example, I ran Montreux Trail Festival. It was a race of, uh, I think, 115 kilometers. So not so long, but it was with um, 8,500 positive altitude meters. I don't know how that translates into feet, but... Um, uh, that's a lot, and it took, uh, I think, about 16 hours something to complete this race. I won it. Um, so, in times, I do have some kind of feeling of what it will be like to run for such a long time, but, uh, yeah, it, it won't be so much climbing and descending. It will be more runnable, yeah. so it will, it will be slightly different. So, I was talking to Ruth Croft, and she said that it was my understanding that your family has kind of been on a, a worldwide road trip project, getting to run in a bunch of different places. And it sounded like most recently you'd been in Costa Rica. Is that how, I mean, looking at this race being so hot this weekend, do you think getting to spend that time there will have prepared you well to be here running in the heat? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I, I came from Europe, so in order to enter the States, uh, we had to do a quarantine, and uh, we did that in Costa Rica. Uh, that was over a month, that was like uh, six weeks ago when we entered. I stayed there for two weeks, just to, enough to do the quarantine, to see some, some uh, friends and, and to train in the heat. We went to a hot part of the, uh, of the country and trained with the most hot and humid, <laughs> humid conditions possible. Um, yeah, I think the combination of humidity and heat is even more difficult than this combination of, well, this, this heat, because it's dry and you feel like your clothes just still stay dry. In Costa Rica, you get completely wet and you really, really suffer from the heat. So I think definitely it makes your body stronger and it is a, a good preparation for, for running in hot conditions. So, Ragna, you've been in the States for a little while. Have you been able to get out on the course at all since you've been here in California? And if so, what are your thoughts about the Western States Trail? And if you have any thoughts about the history and tradition about the race and your opportunity to run it this year, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, so um, as you mentioned before, we've, we are on a, on a project which is called Rolling Mountains. Uh, the project is about traveling to the different continents of the world and running an ultra race on each continent. But it's not, it is about running, about the training, but also about the family life, about traveling. So um, I haven't only come to to be here at the race uh, because I wanted to uh, travel around a little bit in, in North America in the mountainous areas. Um, so uh, we decided um, only to come here like uh, five days before the race. And uh, this meant that I wasn't able to um, to scout a lot. So I um, two days ago, I just went to, to have a look at the river to see what it that will be like because I heard so much about it and uh, I ran a little stretch there only like 45 minutes and I had another run another day on the course but uh, basically um, I don't know the course um, personally it is something I like as well uh, I, I like to uh, to know the finish because sometimes mentally it can be really hard to run the last uh, 10 or 20 miles um, but um, I will be with my paces so that ho will hopefully help me and otherwise I think it's al also really nice to actually not know the course uh, because uh, you will get all sort of new impressions and uh, mentally that can make you feel really strong I think. Yeah. 
So where on this Rolling Mountains project are you headed after this? Yeah, so uh, it's a really, really nice project. Uh, the, the, the thing I didn't tell you about the project is that we make a documentary on each continent. So we've already, we started um, in 2019, when the COVID starts, we started in Asia. Uh, then we went to South America, did Central America, went to Costa Rica, did the self-isolation there, which is also a really nice video. <laughs> and uh, because we did it like in a very nomadic style, just a tent and just cooking on, on fire on the ground, we didn't have anything there. <laughs> and um, yeah, then we went to Europe, filmed Europe and uh, raced there. And after that, we went to Africa, had a really, really exciting time there. And then we went back to Europe because we couldn't really go anywhere and we were waiting for North America to be, to be summer. So we wanted here to be here in a good time of the year and, uh, and to be able to race. So then this is, this is the fifth uh, episode of our project. And afterwards, we still have New Zealand, Australia, so Oceania. But it's impossible at the moment to go, to go there. So we are just waiting. <laughs> and, and then finally, we want to go to the Antarctic as well. So that's something uh, we have uh, in mind for, for the next period of time. Mm, we can't really say when it will happen. <laughs> what an amazing adventure. It sounds like so much fun. And I think in our sport, people do love that human side of the sport as well. And you traveling with your family and having these amazing adventures. I think it's a great story and we'll make sure to share that with, uh, with our audience as well. Uh, speaking of adventures though, you've got a big adventure starting tomorrow, just around the corner from where we're starting here. Of course, Western States is the oldest hundred mile race in the world, 100 mile trail race. There's a lot of tradition. It's something that we're very proud of. Um, because of the coronavirus, there's not a lot of international runners in the field this year. Uh, on the women's side, we have yourself, Audrey Tangay, Beth Pascal, Ruth Croft. I was just wondering if, based on your experience racing in Europe mostly, if this is gonna be sort of a new crop of competitors that you're racing against maybe for the first time, especially because of your sky running background, and if so, how you're thinking about the competitive field on the women's side? Uh, I think uh, it's gonna be a very competitive year. Uh, I think I've got very good um, uh, other women to, to run with and I think it will help us to, to run a good time as well because we will give each other pressure so that's a good thing I think and I'm very excited about it. Um, I know uh, Brittany uh, because she's all, also traveled to Europe a lot and she's done uh, a lot of uh, sky running races there. This is Brittany Peterson, the yes. defending second place finisher. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I'm excited to see her again because it's, uh, it's a long time I've seen her. And um, yeah, I know Ruth Croft, of course. Um, we have done uh, several races uh, racing each other. So, uh, uh, and apart from that, I think uh, maybe the other runners uh, I'm not so familiar with. So uh, it will be a surprise. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure for me to, to be able to race with them. So we know that you've run some races that are over the 100K distance and some that are very, very verty. But, may, you know, we're kind of com coming to a new combination here where it's, it's long, but it's fast and runnable. Was there anything, obviously you only found out maybe five or six weeks ago that you were going to be here. Was there time to change anything in your training? Did anything, did you feel like you needed to do anything specifically to prepare for this kind of shift in racing style? Uh, yes, when I heard I could participate, uh, we, we trained the schedule a little bit uh, and we uh, put in more um, 
Well, uh, always like uh, runnable runs, so not so much of the poles, but so no no hiking, no walking, but the 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 trainings were always like runnable. So I've been running like more athletically, and yeah, I've done a lot of fart legs uh, on on flat <laughs> and in the fall training. So yeah, slight difference, uh, a little bit more speed uh, than usual, and uh, not so much strength. Great. Well, Ragna, we're going to let you go in just a second. I just want to pull out a question from our live chat here from YouTube. Uh, Matthew asked about your heat training. We already talked about that. We had another question about how you decided where to go with this Rolling Mountains project. How did you decide the destinations that you and your family were going to travel to? Okay, you mean in, in North America, I guess, or in general? In general, I oh, think. In general, yeah. Well, um, actually, the, the course changed quite a lot because we made like a geographically like logical route. So we would have gone from South America to Central America to North America, but, um, and then to back to Europe. And, and, um, but um, because of the coronavirus, we were like forced to adjust our plans. Uh, I think everybody in this, these years has uh, had to learn to be very adaptable, very adjustable. And uh, in, in our case, it was certainly the case as well. We had to like live from day to day and see from day to day where we could go, what we could do. For example, uh, well, after Central uh, America, we, we, instead of going to North America, uh, so which would have been last year in summer, we, we went back to Europe and, and ran in Europe. And then when we went to Africa, we went to Tanzania because it was the only COVID-free country, <laughs> apparently. And we didn't actually know what we could do after climbing Kilimanjaro. We didn't know what we would be raising, what we would be doing in Africa and um, from uh, Tanzania we saw then we could go into Kenya uh, so we did like a 24-hour drive to get into Kenya which was quite complicated like getting over the border and everything like and um, and then we were there and we were like literally like w looking like where can we race because we need a race on each uh, episode and suddenly we saw that South Africa had opened the borders and they had been closed for like in lockdown, like very extreme lockdown for nearly a year. And um, so as soon as they opened, we bought a ticket and flew into South Africa and we were able to race like four races there and had a really, really good co experience with the community there. So it's been very much like living day by day. And after Africa, we went back, and then, uh, but then we planned. Uh, we, we we kept an eye out on Af on uh, North America all the time, and we saw that everything seems very stable. Uh, that the, the vaccinations were going really well, and uh, so we were pretty com um, confident that we could come here. And and so now we're here. And yeah, the states we wanted to visit were, of course, like the states we, we've heard a, we heard a lot about, which were like uh, Utah, Colorado, California in first instance. And as we were traveling, we also went into Nevada and Arizona. And um, yeah, it's been a, an absolute amazing experience. You have such a beautiful country and such friendly people. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We're really glad that, that you think that. Um, and we're really happy to have you here representing Europe, representing Spain, representing the Netherlands. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best tomorrow in your first 100 mile race here at Western States. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Round of applause for Ragnar Debats, please. Thank you very much. I can't be more pleased to be here. Great. Thank you so much, Ragna. We'll be back in just a minute with Paul Lind.
Okay, we are back. Welcome to our interview with Paul Lind from Idaho. Paul, uh, we're really appreciative of you being here. I just want to remind those who are watching on YouTube that we do have a chat function going on live. I have it up in front of me, and uh, we'd love to pull some questions out of that chat to ask our guests today. So if you do have a question for Paul or others, please don't be shy. Type those questions in, and we'll make sure to ask them. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. You have such an interesting story. I think most of our conversations have been with athletes. We talked to also Diana Fitzpatrick, the president of the board, and Craig Thornley, the race director, yesterday. You have a much different story, so I just wanted to start allowing you to introduce yourself to the audience, why you have such a special connection to this race, and why this year is so special for you specifically. Well, I'm not sure I'm that special, but I feel pretty special with you young guns up here wanting to chat, but... Uh... Yeah, the, the family history goes back to before the Western States. My father was the, the doctor for the horseback riders. And in 1974, I was seven years old and I was with him. There was no hotel here. There was nothing but a field and a little ski resort. And the horses started over there. And there was this crazy lumberjack named Gordy Ainsley that was gonna run it that year. And I, of course, was more interested in the horses than, than him, but my dad found that to be a feat of uh, unimaginable endurance at that time. <clears throat> and 23 hours and 40-odd minutes later, Gordy finished with the horses in Auburn. And uh, two years later, or three years later in 77, was the first Western States, if you've seen the black and white pictures. Um, my brother and I were there, and. Gordy was there. He wasn't running that year. And Wendell Roby started the race with his pistol. And they didn't start the race with guns up till that point. That's a bad thing for horses when you start a race with a gun. And uh, after that year, Dad uh, had his 20-gauge shotgun. He was an Iowa farm boy, and he started it every year since with that and was the medical director for 30-odd years. And so uh, my brother and I have been along the whole time for the last 47 years. Transitioned into, I've run it a couple times and I now coach professionally and we have a, a few runners in this year. One special one who happens to be my son. My dad passed away in 2016 and so uh, we've been handling the shotgun ever since and it'll be a pretty big thrill to have Cody next to me tomorrow. Of course, Brittany Peterson will be right there. I coach her and this young lady, Emily Hoggett, all three on the start line. So we have yet to figure out how I'm going to get everywhere, but we will see. I was going to say, Western States means so much to you. And I like, so I, I coach as well, and I have four athletes in the race, and I have teammates in the race. And emotionally, I am going to be all over the place, and none of them are related to me. How are you? I mean, maybe you don't know yet. How... Besides being blown away with how amazing the day is, how are you going to divide your energy up tomorrow to make it from firing the shotgun to being on that track in Auburn yourself? Yeah, I, I have gone over my head. I am not going to cry at the start line. I genuinely have trouble with that. I'm not going to cry. Same, same. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but what a big thrill. I mean, I wish my dad was around to watch his grandson run, that'll be a, a really neat thing. As far as with the athletes, I, I don't coach a, a ton by choice. I'm very close to my athletes. 
I do their long training runs with them. I go to all the races around the world, and this one being so special, um, we've devised a plan. I'll see them at Robinson. I'll see them at Michigan. I'm going to bypass Forest Hill and go to the river. And by then, something in the plan will have completely blown up and we'll have to improvise. So Naturally. hopefully it'll blow up in the right direction. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, it is so fun to hear about the history of the race. And it's so cool that we now have a third generation of Lynn's here at Western States. Again, your son Cody is going to be racing this year. He earned his golden ticket at the Bandera 100K. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to sort of gush about your son and just speak about how special it is for you, for another generation of Lynn's to be participating at the Western States 100 since it goes all the way back to the beginning with you guys. I think what means the most isn't uh, th that we're in Western States. It's the journey that it took to get here. I always thought that the training and the effort to get to this point was far more enjoyable and fun than the actual race ever was. And nowadays, I think if, if a person is running Western States to put a buckle on and make an Instagram post, you've missed the point of why you're here in Olympic Valley. It's to honor the tradition and to be on the most hallowed trail. I will say the world, the Europeans won't like that, but I really don't care. <laughs> I think this is the most hallowed trail in the world. And, uh, for Cody to be on there, um, I don't think it can get more special than the first time doing it. My first time I have runners go, and Cody too, we specifically don't let them see the high country. I think the high country is so special to go through Granite Chief, to get to Robinson Flat, and it goes by so quickly that one needs to just enjoy that. And then from Robinson Flat, everybody knows every rock, every pebble, up, down, creek, bridge everything else so not to give any way to give away any trade secrets but we've got a lot of people you know watching online who might be racing this weekend we've got people here in the audience who might be racing this weekend if you had to give them one piece of advice from all your years here at the race knowing that we were going into a hot year this this weekend what's your one piece of advice that they can carry with them from the start line here this week well, I would love all the elites, except for Cody, Brittany, and Emily, to go out as fast as possible and run to Robinson Flat in four hours. <laughs> but honestly, everybody is familiar with hydrating. Mm -hmm. That's no secret anymore. Everybody's familiar with staying cool. It's to save your quads. Because if you don't have quads, you cannot run from Green Gate to the finish. That's for the faster runners. My dad had a piece of advice for the the mortal crowd like myself, the 24 hour, the 26, the 28 hour runners. And his advice was walk early and often before it's the only thing you can do. <laughs> and I think that goes a long way. It's great, great advice. So looking back two years at the 2019 race where Brittany Peterson, one of your athletes finished second place in one of the most amazing battles of all time with Claire Gallagher. And Looking at, at sort of where she is now, coming in as a second place finisher, clearly is one of the contenders in the race. Is there anything specific that you guys did to help her be a little bit more prepared for that competitive dynamic that might occur again at the end of the race? Absolutely. Next question. <laughs> it's a secret, I guess, huh? <laughs> no. Brittany, they're all ready to go. We do not talk about winning or, or high placing um, that is something 
I, I treat Western states a lot like a sailor on the ocean. The ocean will dictate where you go and how you get to sail. Western states tomorrow will dictate what you need to do and how fast and how well you're gonna run. You can be as prepared as you want. It's 100 miles, it's somewhere between 14 and 30 hours. The body can, can turn on you. So I think this is, this is the number one asset everybody has. And if you listen to that and push with this, we'll see you in Auburn. That's amazing. Um, so we've mentioned Cody, we've mentioned Brittany, you've got one more elite in the field this weekend and Emily who's sitting in the audience here. So we're going to kind teammate. of- My teammate, Emily Hoggett. So she's sitting in the audience watching this right now. So she, I mean, I got to watch her earn her golden ticket at Canyons, which was phenomenal. I think I was in tears volunteering at the finish line. For you as a coach to have an athlete be so hungry for this race, that they, not did, they, did, they did not do one golden ticket race. They did, they did not do two golden ticket races. They did all three golden ticket races trying to get their entry here. What does it mean as a coach, even though maybe <laughs> you have your own personal feelings about that, but what does it mean to see her get to start this weekend? First of all, we will not do that again. We will go after one. 300 Ks is not a coach's dream come true for an athlete. <clears throat> but yes, she was ready for all three and, and just put her heart into it and wanted it so bad. And to, to finally get that last golden ticket at, at Canyons was, was pretty special. There were many, many tears shed and huge hugs given at that finish line. So this weekend, I think, will be especially special for everyone involved. I agree 100%. I want to ask a question about the medical research because it is something that's so important to the Western States 100. We talked to Diana Fitzpatrick, the president of the board, yesterday, and she said there's three things that they focus on, putting on a great race, doing medical research, and doing trail work. So medical research is one of the core pillars that the Western States 100 focuses on every year. Your father was the medical director for 30 years. Do you have any perspectives to share from his experience and your experience with the race um, about the, the medical research, things that have come about because of it that otherwise wouldn't have? Absolutely, I mean, the development of electrolyte and supplements and foods, we didn't have that back in the day. People were taking salt tabs and stash and water. But of all the medical research, I think what he learned is running 100 miles is not necessarily good for the human body. We all agreed that. You both have run. We agree to that statement. <laughs> it is not something that is generally good to do to yourself. And that being said, my dad always liked people to respect the human body. You only have so many 100 mile races you can do. You only have so many 100K races you can do. <clears throat> Treat your body like it is the, mar the marvelous machine that was handed to you and take care of it. Yes, people can do 100, 100 mile races. Do I think that's wise? No. I'm a fan of 100 mile race a year, two if my athletes really twist my arm, but you've gotta be careful and take care of yourself because you two are in your 30s, I, I'm guessing. Yeah, you got the gray. Is that gray. right, there's, Corinne? Sorry. There's grays under there too. Lots both, of them. We both have I would tell you what I like to tell my athletes. I would like to see you two enjoying running long distances when you're 50 and 60 years old with good knees and still competitive and still putting a bib on and scaring some youngsters out there. We would love nothing more. 
Amen. Amen. So we, uh, of course, want to take a question from the chat here, and it's actually something that I uh, thought would be interesting to hear from you as well. And that is, I mean, Chris Andrews asks, the biggest advancements in, in ultra and especially Western states since the race's conception, or just generally any interesting memories that you have that you want to share from the early days? So I think one of the biggest will be how you carry your water. Everybody is used to running with vests now and water. That didn't come along for a long time. There was handheld bottles and there was the infamous Boda belt. And if nobody remembers that, it was a belt you filled with water and you wrapped it around and some people would run one, two, three, or four or five of them, the Boda belt. That was an absolute disaster and went away quickly. Um, the, 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 the drinks, the electrolyte and nutrition drinks, I'll, I'll you know, tailwind and Roctane and the things that, that come along with it, I think are a huge asset if you use them correctly nowadays. So I, I'm just pulling something else up that I thought was really interesting when I was sort of looking into your story. I think you ran the Western States 100 in 1986, right? So you were a young man in those years and then you ran it again in 2015. So what is that? That's a difference in- 29. 29 years between your two finishes. Talk about your experiences both as a young man and, and as a little bit more mature master's athlete in 2015. Careful. <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in 1986, I was 18. I had been around it my whole life. I worked at Fleet Feet in Roseville at the time. I had Nancy March and Tim Tweetmeyer and Herb Tanamoto all training me for the race, doing these crazy runs. Um, I was the kid. Uh, it, was, it was a great, great experience. Um, Western States was so brutal on me that it took 29 years to recover before I ran it again. <clears throat> the special thing about 2015 was that was the last year my dad was around. That was the final year that he started with the shotgun. And uh, that's, that's so special. It's amazing. I have goosebumps right now. This is now two for two goosebumps in t this morning's interviews. Tomorrow, you're going to be shooting the gun off one more time. Maybe just uh, give us a, a quick... So here's the shell. He brought the bullet, There's folks. the shell. It's going on. Amazing. <clears throat> My dad always wrote WS 100 miler and wrote the date on it. And so we did that this week. We also do one test fire. And Cody does the test fire of the gun. He did that in Idaho this week and we are uh, ready to rock and we will be very safe, don't worry. <laughs> well, Paul, this has been one of my favorites so far. What a freaking awesome story. An amazing three generations of Lynn's all connected to this race. We wish you nothing but the best tomorrow. Try not to cry at the start. <laughs> Good luck chasing your son, Cody, around along with your athletes, Emily and Brittany. We will see you at the start line tomorrow at 5 a.m. Well, thank you. I have one more bit of coaching advice just for you two. Okay. Because I believe, if I'm correct, aren't you in Hard Rock this year? I am, yes, sir. Aren't you coming my direction and running I'm Tough this year? I am. Stand by. <laughs> this is the... Uh, Can you hold on? Yes, sir. <laughs> the backpack is coming out. So you ask my one bit of advice to be successful in 100-mile races. I can guarantee this will make you successful. I can also guarantee you will not want to carry it with you. You will not want to hold it. But you will want it every chance you get 
during your races? I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> there is nobody, no runner that doesn't like cowbells out on the course. If you use cowbells in hard rock, and in I'm Tough, in my state of Idaho, and everybody out there sees these during the race, we're gonna have a 99% finish rate tomorrow. Thanks guys. More Thank cowbell. Big round of applause for Paul, Paul Lind. We'll be back in just a second with Hoka's Mike McManus. Okay, we are back, 2021 Western States 100. We are here with Mike McManus, the head of sports marketing at Hoka. Mike, welcome to the show. I just wanna uh, make sure to remind everybody, if you do have questions for Mike and our other guests, please do type them in the chat. If you have a question from the audience too, just raise your hand and we'll get to you as well. Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Maybe start by just introducing yourself to the audience, what your role is at Hoka and why this race is so important to the brand. Yeah, thank you so much, Dylan. And let me just say, it's, uh, it's electric to be out and uh, see people so close that we've all been doing teams and zoom and seeing this race finally happen again. And, you know, we've been waiting now almost two years to be a part of this, but uh, back to your question. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I direct sports marketing for Hoka One One. And that means uh, more or less, uh, you know, look after our athletes and events. And, and of course, uh, you know, if, if you're not familiar with Hoka, you know, our genesis is this world. It's the ultra trail world. Uh, it was founded by uh, two very uh, smart, much smarter than me, uh, uh, gentlemen. And, you know, the, it was born in the Alps in France to try and figure out how to, you know, get up and down the mountains in the Alps and, and survive, especially as everyone knows, uh, in terms of uh, quadriceps, hips, all those uh, things that taken a lot of pounding after mile and miles. So that's uh, the birth of Hoka. So, you know, Western States fits perfectly in with, uh, with our brand. So we've obviously seen Hoka's list of athletes that are racing this weekend. You've got some very established names, but you also have some, some young guns coming up in the likes of like Aaron Clark kind of transitioning to the trail. What does it mean to you to have this kind of, you know, stable of athletes here towing the line this weekend going for the win? Wow. You know, I was thinking about this earlier because just thinking about our athletes and we, we probably have the the best mix and, and most competitive group we ever have um, on both the men's and women's side and we do we have some veterans that have done this many times and Magdalena has, has won the race Jim has won the race uh, Casey has won the race uh, and then we have some that are you know experienced but very new uh, you know Tim Tolson one of those athletes that I, I think this a lot of times could be his home course I don't want to jinx him uh, you know, as, as one example, that's right. Uh, and then, you know, some newbies like uh, Hayden Hawks or even uh, Aaron Clark. And Aaron is so interesting, such a badass. Uh, you know, she was actually, of course, a very competitive athlete in college, uh, All-American at Colorado, uh, went to NAZ Elite, trying to, you know, cut her teeth on the track and was absolutely injured uh, the entire time and, you know, struggled and, and has ended up, of course, relocating to Missoula and finding the trails and, and finding new life. And, you know, I think the, one of the most exciting things about the Ultra Trail Award to us is the energy and the push that all these athletes are moving towards 
this category, this sport. It doesn't have to be 100 miles, but you know the trail world is alive and well. And I think it's, uh, I think our athletes uh, are a great example because they come from all forms. Some are pure trail runners, but a lot of them are coming from the track and we have some very new runners to this race. So, uh, you know, we're, we're super excited to see what happens. Yeah, I'm personally super excited to watch Erin Clark run this weekend. It'll be fun to follow her story throughout the course of the day tomorrow. So sticking on the subject of athletes, Corinne and I actually were talking about this the other day that we inadvertently invited a ton of Hoka athletes to our show because we just went through, you know, who are the most interesting, who are the most competitive, who are, you know, some of the, the people who are the most liked and well-respected in the sport. And yeah, like I said, uh, you guys have done an amazing job at, at sort of recruiting and identifying great, talented athletes. So as the head of sports marketing, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about the process that you guys go through to identify these athletes, what you look for both in their talent and in their personality to make them uh, a good fit with the brand. Wow. Um... Yeah, like pressure on me, I suppose, to, to make things happen, or our group, certainly our team. But I, I, I think, as I just mentioned, in this, the sport, there's, there's a con continued uh, evolution of the sport. And, and you do have some amazing, you know, trail athletes that are pure trail athletes uh, that, that come to it from a different, you know, Audrey, Audrey Tangi, who's here from France, uh, she certainly doesn't have a, a, a track background, uh, you know, let's say like Camille Heron or Jim Wamsley or Hayden Hawks. Uh, uh, but, you know, she, she is, uh, yeah, I think she's going to do quite well. And, and I think it's our job and our opportunity to, you know, find those athletes that, you know, there is a, a physical ability, no doubt. And, and I think you're seeing athletes, uh, of course, like, uh, you know, Jim's a great example of that, who has made that transition from, you know, being a very good, collegiate runner to figuring out ultras, figuring out even this distance, uh, at least at Western States, and, you know, having a couple really good goes at it. But, you know, there's, so there's that physical ability, but I also think there's the ability that you need to manage yourself throughout the race, understand the, the strengths and weaknesses that you have. Um, and, and I think there's a talent to that. And just being a, a good track athlete, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to figure that out. And I think that's one of the unique things that, you know, that this environment brings out is sure, you know, uh, a fast athlete might have an advantage you would think, but then there's so many other things that go into the, the roller coaster of emotions, knowing your body, having to solve problems. And, you know, you see it with some of the best athletes in the world, uh, Jim included, uh, uh, Camille, I think is a great example. That's taken a couple swings here. And I, I think she's also going to have a great, uh, race, but she hasn't so far at Western and she's still trying to figure out this, uh, this beast that is Western state. So for ours, us, you know, it's finding those athletes that, um, we think are going to, uh, you know, be pretty good at solving problems. And, and of course, you know, the 100 mile distance has become, I, I think, iconic within the sport. And, and we hear that from all of our athletes that many of them will start out at, at 50K and 100K and they quickly realize that, you know, the, the 100 mile distance uh, across the board is sort of the statement distance uh, and, and it's the equalizer all the way around. So uh, yeah, that's, that's our opportunity. So we try and find those athletes that fit in and we think are going to be great ambassadors, but also, you know, pretty good at this. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, obviously, you've been around the running industry for quite some time, but now with this kind of stable of trail and ultra athletes, you know, road ultras as well, what, if anything, have you learned about running from them, from trail and ultra that maybe wasn't on, you know, 
the top of your mind coming into kind of taking on this set of athletes? I, I think we're still learning. I, I think a couple things that I've learned uh, s since joining Hoka, which was uh, in 2016, is and, and really getting to know some of the athletes um, is, you know, not uh, is not trying to force things in a race. You see it at Western States quite a bit is, you know, is instead of trying to force initiatives, I, I think Jim's a great example. This is his first two swings, especially I think year two. Year one, maybe he would have uh, still broken the course record if he just went the wrong or the correct <laughs> route. That didn't happen. So you, course knowledge is also important. But, uh, you know, second year forcing, you know, in a very difficult year, uh, you know, and he really imploded before he got to the Rocky Chucky. Uh, um, but, but I would say, you know, allowing uh, the course to come to you, not forcing it and, and understanding, um, you know, the give and take that you're going to have to have, being at peace with that. Um, I, I think another thing uh, and maybe even more apparent this year is, you know, taking time out just to appreciate where you are. Um, I, you know, I've had that, especially from people like uh, Casey Licktig, um, you know, getting to the, the, the top of escarpment and maybe celebrating with some of the other athletes like, wow, this is pretty darn cool. And I think this year more than ever, because we're coming off a of pandemic, uh, it's, it's celebrating the sport. And that's one of the, the most cool things that I think continues to make the sport so unique that, that I have learned from an early age. My father ran Western States in 1981 and 1982. Um, so I've, I've been a part of this community, but you know, the, the celebration factor, the, the uh, embracing every athlete's out there, understanding every athlete's uh, continuing to you know, try and maximize their own potential. I, I don't think that's changed, but uh, sure, the, this sport continues to evolve. And I think with nutrition, with training, uh, with all the new races coming in, it's going to continue to evolve. You described Casey Lichtai and Magda's hug at the top of the mountain a couple of years ago, and you gave me goosebumps. So we're three for three on goosebumps in this morning's interviews. You also mentioned Jim trying to force things back in 2016, ultimately taking a couple of times to figure it out. He is now the two-time champion course record holder. In 2019, I'm sure you were watching when he won and set the course record again. Jared Hazen, one of your other athletes, finished second in the second fastest time in history. Maybe a little retrospective on how it felt watching those guys go 1-2 in 2019. Well, of course, it felt great. Um, you know, but the, the, maybe the bigger story, Dylan, is that uh, I was crewing for Jared that year. And, and that wasn't my initial plan when I arrived at Squaw Valley, but I, you know, I asked our athletes, all our team asked the athletes, can we help you? And Jared lost one of his, uh, his helpers. And so, you know, I met him at Robinson Flat and uh, of course, Jim came in and looked great, took his time, uh, 30 mile mark. Jared came in, uh, I thought he looked fine. And the, the night before, you know, he laid out all of his gels and bottles and told me exactly what he needed at the first checkpoint. So, of course, I laid all those things out and was waiting patiently for him. He came in. I thought he looked great. And then he took everything that he wasn't supposed to. It was the different uh, color drink. It was instead of uh, gels, it was waffles. And he, you know, and he was very efficient. So Jim took his time at Robinson Flat. I want to say maybe, you know, three, four minutes. Uh, you know, Jared was in and out in a minute. He was so efficient and it scared the crap out of me. I was so nervous and my wife, Laura, was with me. And as we drove to Michigan Bluff, uh, I told her, I said, wow, he, he just took everything he said he was not going to. He said, make sure I leave with this, this, and this. And he didn't leave with any of that stuff. And, <laughs> and of course, 
you know, trying to follow the runners is not always that easy, especially as you go through that next section. And so I was so elated when he actually showed up at Michigan Bluff. And I, again, he was so efficient. Jared was so efficient. There was no time to talk to him. But, you know, again, I laid out all of his stuff, didn't, had no idea what he was going to take, but he got his stuff. And of course, I followed uh, up only after the race. And yeah, he said, uh, you know, he had really awful stomach issues the entire first 30 miles, uh, uh, you know, made separate, separate or several pit stops uh, along the route, and his stomach was sour by the time he saw us for the first time. So, of course, again, thinking on the fly, thinking through problems, uh, but it really scared the, you know, just scared me completely. But, uh, okay, it ended up pretty well for Jared and, uh, and Jim. You know, I, you know, I mean, he had a, an amazing day. So we'll see if he can have another one of those days. But... You know, you know, how many times do you get somebody like Jared breaking the course record and, and finishing second? So switching gears a little bit here. Now, since you were here when your father ran the race back in the 80s, early 80s, and now we're sitting here in 2021, Hoka obviously has a huge, you know, role in us bringing this, I don't know, bringing the sport into the modern era, I feel like, in the U.S. this weekend with the live media coverage. What does it mean to you to kind of be a, a crucial factor in that? And then where do you see, you know, us continuing to push the sport forward? How do you think that we'll be involved in, in making that happen? I, uh, you know, we're, we're super proud being at Hoka to be a part of this race. As I mentioned, this is, this is our genesis. This is where the, the brand comes from. And, you know, Western... Uh, Tohoka and Western, to me personally, has always been uh, the most iconic 100-mile uh, trail race in the world every year. And, and, and I did have the opportunity to grow up in that environment. Let's say it was a little bit easier to qualify when my father did it. Uh, and, you know, the years that he ran, there wasn't a California loop that came in afterwards. They weren't exactly uh, correct on or accurate. But, you know, he ran 26 hours the first year and 23 the second year and got his silver belt buckle. And, and you know, I, I was a part of the community with... Uh, Ruth Anderson and, and of course Ann Trayson and growing up in in that Oakland Berkeley area um, you know ultra running was a big part of that uh, Dick Collins another one that uh, again just perennial ultra athletes you know where do we see this uh, event going I, I would tell you for for Hoka it's very important to make sure we're playing homage to this race and and certainly not overpowering or overshadowing uh, the iconic western states it's, I would say, to put a nice accent on this race. Uh, you know, one of our goals certainly is to help bring coverage, like we're doing today, like you're doing, uh, you know, like during race, to a much higher level. So, you know, we really want uh, anybody around the world to be able to follow the race for years to come and follow all the amazing stories. Because right now, what, there are 379 amazing stories that are happening, um, and we certainly want everybody in the world to be able to gravitate, follow that event. So that's one of our, our big goals with the race to help Western states uh, make sure that it's really able to be broadcast, communicated, and, and just show off, you know, what, what is, in our humble opinion, uh, you know, the mo most iconic 100-mile trail race uh, ever. So well said. And just on behalf of Corinne and myself and the other rabid ultra running fans worldwide. We really do thank you and Hoka for making that investment. It's something that our sport really needs and we are very happy and proud that we can help contribute to that as well. So thank you for helping to support the live coverage this year uh, on behalf of ultra fans worldwide. I know that inclusivity uh, is also very important to the Hoka brand. I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your guys' philosophy around that and why it's so important. 
Yeah, th- thank you. And uh, of course, uh, you know, ultra running is interesting that it's still, if we're being honest, it's still a, a male, uh, you know, driven sport, white male driven sport. And, you know, we see that opportunity to continue to uh, make sure that everybody has opportunities from from a, a cultural uh, basis and, of course, from a, a gender uh, opportunity. Uh, you know, I know you are in Hard Rock. That's one of those races that, you know, on a given year, maybe less than 10 women will actually uh, earn spots into it. And even on the best year at Western States, you know, 70-30 maybe is the percentage. And, you know, where do we see that going? We want to see all races get to a place where, you know, there's equal opportunity. And, you know, I think that's another objective that we have. And, you know, we're moving in the right direction for that. But, you know, HOKA certainly, uh, you know, offering opportunities, um, getting everybody excited about the sport and continuing to uh, make anyone believe that this sport is open to uh, themselves is incredibly important. So that agenda of ours and that objective will not change. It's it's so true. And again, it goes back to the live coverage this year is just being able to tell the amazing story of our sport and the amazing story of the people in our sport to the general public to hopefully bring more people to be a little bit more inclusive, to be a, a little bit more equal and uh, equitable is something that we can all strive for. We have one last question for you before we let you go from our live chat here. Matthew Hoadley asks sort of what the process is in integrating some of the athlete feedback into the product. Uh, yeah, it's very important. It's very important. So, uh, you know, we do, we do have a product team and innovation team that uh, works very closely with athletes on current products and, and feedback, of course, and in terms of what is going well and what needs to be improved. And, and as we move forward um, or look forward, you know, as, as a lot of people know, you know, shoe business, we're working maybe 18 months out on product. And so, you know, our athletes are already working uh, with our product team, with the innovation team on products that, you know, are not going to hit retail until a year from now, perhaps even a year and a half from now. So we do have some nice surprises coming out. Uh, I'm not allowed to share those right now, but I would tell you that the feedback that we get from athletes is critical because, you know, tip of the spear, you know, the athlete that has spent really the last two years, and, and I can go beyond just our contractual athletes. It's really, I'm talking to athletes and anybody that is, uh, you know, had a placement at Western States, you know, that's an athlete that's been basically training for this race, unknown if it was going to take place for the better part of two years now. And I would tell you, any one of those athletes has a very good feel of product, how it works, what's not working. And of course, you ask anybody that is running crazy miles, crazy vert, uh, you know, volume on a, on a consistent basis, and they absolutely become experts on products. So yes, we work with uh, certainly our sponsored athletes, but we also have a, a list of athletes beyond that that we tap into because the, the feedback is, is critical. And again, this is what we call the tip of the spear. The, you know, anybody that's lined up for Western is, is, you know, is way beyond the one percentile just to get them through this at whatever level are. So they're experts as far as product is concerned. Well, Mike, thanks so much again for your support of the race, for your support of our live coverage this year. Uh, do you have any uh, special responsibilities tomorrow? Or are you, uh, you going to be crewing Jared? Anybody else? Not so far. Not so far. <laughs> so I, I'm hoping to be able to go out to these checkpoints I mentioned, enjoy the race. Uh, I, I'm hoping our athletes are going to have, have a good showing. But, I, you know, I, I, I'm thrilled 
just to be back, I think like everybody is, I share the excitement that you know every single runner, every single crew member, every single fan has of just seeing everybody in person. I'm so proud uh, to be a part of this, but also uh, you know just just thrilled, quite honestly, and looking forward to an amazing race, however it turns out, and uh, at all the different parts of it, from the race up front to those uh, athletes that are trying to finish the first time to those athletes that either are trying to go under 24 hours or maybe under 30 hours. Uh, you know, there's so many amazing stories. Everybody has one. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I think as my late aunt would say, I'm tickled pink to be here and uh, <laughs> looking forward to uh, being a part of uh, the race tomorrow. Amazing. We'll, we'll text us updates from the course, okay, so that we can share them with the world. Mike McManus, everybody, big round of applause. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next up, Claire Gallagher, defending women's champion. Okay, we are back with the defending women's champion, Claire Gallagher. Big round of applause for the champ, please. Claire just said something really hilarious that I need to share with the audience. Mike McManus, our last guest, said, I hope the women's race is as exciting as 2019. And Claire said, oh, God, I hope not. So <laughs> let's, let's start there, Claire. You are the def defending champ, as we said. But uh, the 2019 race was as dramatic as it's ever been on the women's side. You and Brittany Peterson were together at about mile 95, I believe. You eventually pulled away for a strong victory. Maybe just share your memories from that race, how it uh, sort of shaped you as an athlete and, and how special it was for you. Well, there are very few memories, to be honest, uh, from those final five miles. I think most people who have been caught in the last 10 miles of a race uh, can relate. But um, uh, yeah, Brittany caught me at around mile 90. We, we ran together for almost four miles or walked. I don't even know what we were doing. And uh, or we were walking. We were, uh, and then, um, yeah, it just happened that it was like one of us needs to make a move. And I mean, honestly, I'm sitting here with two very, very competitive elite runners. So you guys get it, right? Like something clicks in you. And that happened to me where I was like, this is a race and I can either get second or first and I'm gonna try and win. And I, I thought maybe I had made too quick of a move cause there was about six miles to go when I made a move at Pointed Rocks. Um, I like, borderline dropped my pacer. I dropped all the extra stuff in my pack and I just went and didn't look back. And Brittany, um, yeah, I couldn't keep up in that moment. Although Brittany had an amazing race cause she got me in the first place. So yeah. <laughs> I think we are all, I, I don't think any of us, some of us didn't even know what had happened. I think that had been that back and forth until the next day or the next week even. Um, those of us that were racing or, or even spectating, I think was kind of hard to keep track of that. So it was very impressive after the fact. But what I think is a, a really interesting thing in 2019 leading up to the race, you were backpacking around the Arctic I believe, right? And then most recently, I know you were in a, a different type of Arctic, maybe a little bit more mosquito-y. Um, can you tell the audience about what you've been up to most recently and your maybe 
not so typical buildup to a big 100 mile race for most. Yeah, thanks for asking, Corinne. Uh, I spent uh, a little over a week in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. So if anyone's from the Midwest or, um, yeah, Midwest. Um, I'm not from the Midwest, but I have a ton of family, right? So many of us have <laughs> connections to the Midwest. Uh, yeah, so I went up there with this, this amazing guy named Alex Falconer. He works for the organization Save the Boundary Waters, and he completely the first ever traverse across the Boundary Waters Wilderness area, so 110 miles. I only ran about 30 with him. That was plenty, to be honest. Uh, Boundary Waters running is nothing like Cal Street. Uh, it's much, much rockier, much more up and down. Um, the weather is much more unpredictable and it was incredible. I mean, we're trying to raise awareness for a proposed uh, sulfide or copper mine that would be on the border of the Boundary Waters wilderness area. And um, this is some of the most pristine water on planet Earth. So hopefully we can rally runners like all of us. Uh, you can check out savetheboundarywaters.org to send a note to your representative because every single rep in the country will vote on a bill uh, this year to protect this area. So um, yeah, you know, combining running with things a little bit bigger than ourselves. <laughs> I mean, Claire, I think that's something that everybody really loves and admires about you is that you are much more than an athlete. And I wanted to sort of allow you to sort of talk a little bit more about what you've been up to, right? Since 2020 was sort of the lost year for a lot of athletes, I'm sure you weren't just sitting at home doing nothing. What have you been up to since your victory at the 20 or 2019 Western States 100? And how did you spend the 2020 year? I, I did a lot of resting, to be honest. Uh, the mental toll of 2019, I don't think I realized like what a toll, even like this race in particular took on me. I wasn't really right in the head probably for a few months. Uh, you know, like digging that deep over 17 hours is when something you don't even really expect. I mean, I showed up in 2019 fresh off of a, yeah, I mean, basically a mountaineering trip in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and was just grateful to be here. My goal was to finish and then, and then to win. Um, I, it took a while to decompress and I didn't race at all in 2020. I uh, took a bunch of freediving courses. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, essentially freediving is like glorified snorkeling. And, um, it's going deep in another way, I guess. Yeah, huh? exactly. Um, I, I love the mental challenge of holding your breath, of lowering your heart rate. I think there are so many similarities between ultra running and freediving. So um, I know no one probably believes me, but <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it here now in five years. <laughs> when everyone's into freediving, you can thank me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm just happy to be back. You know, I've raced a little bit this spring, uh, 50K in Colorado, 21 miler in Idaho. And, and here we are, um, definitely haven't done an ultra in over a year. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, lots of people I think are feeling a little bit rusty coming into this race. Some of us need a rust buster to build confidence. Some of us take confidence from our training. Obviously, I think you're, I mean, ultra, people successful at ultras can run 60 miles a week. They can run 140 miles a week. That's the cool thing about our sport. But I think you're definitely on one end of the spectrum there. Can you talk a little bit about what it's meant to kind of, you know, clean the cobwebs out over the last couple months to, to be at the start line here this weekend? 
Yeah. So what Corinne means by that is I'm very low mileage for uh, for racing hundreds. And my coach, David Roche, is somewhere around here. Uh, he's he's brilliant. He he knows what my body needs. I run pretty much max 70 miles a week. It's very um, purposeful, joyful 70 miles. Uh, you know, not a step is wasted. And and that's to prevent injury, right? Like so many people can't end up showing up on the start line due to injury. And so my biggest goal always is just to show up healthy. If I'm a little bit undertrained, it's way better than showing up, you know, with a limp. So um, that I give massive credit to David. I, he's just, um, I mean, you guys follow the science too. It's, it's just incredible to see like what different ultra runners can do with different types of training. And yeah, I mean, I do like one minute speed intervals <laughs> for, for a lot of my training. Um, uh, I'm super inspired by track runners, you know, who's been watching the Olympic trials. Shout yes. out to Emma Coburn, yeah. Steeple. Colorado zone. Colorado yeah. zone. Um, um, she she qualified for the steeplechase in the Olympics last night, for those who don't know. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, I mean, my training is somewhat unique, but um, it works for me. It's a great lesson. And I think one of the other dynamics that is specific to you being the defending champion is maybe the temptation to be complacent after you've won the race to feel like you've got it figured out. How do you reapproach the race with a beginner's mindset when you are the defending champion? Is it there a temptation to sort of stick to what's work and not evolve? And if, uh, if you can share any of how your training is similar and different to 2019, I think people would really love to hear. That is a really good question, Dylan. I'm like, could I have been backtracking? Like, did I do everything this spring? And uh, to be honest, my training has been pretty similar over the past like three years. I've had much less travel in the past year, which has been awesome. Like a little bit more of a routine, I think um, benefits me. Uh, Cause normally I have like no routine. I was traveling almost 200 days a year. Um, prior to 2019. So it's been nice. You know, I got two cats. I guess that's part of my training routine is like <laughs> chilling with my cats, like getting my mind into the into the empty zone because so much of ultra running is mental. I think we it's undervalued of how much of the next day is happens up here. You know, when we look at these elite fields, every single person, we got like 30 men and 30 women who are pretty much equally as fit, you know, with different training plans. But once you get to Forest Hill, it, it, it ends up being much more of a mental game. And, and I do think that practicing, you know, where your mind is, in everyday life is a good way to prepare for, for these types of challenges. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna give a shout out to my cats, Mermaid and Manta Ray, for keeping me chill, keeping me how to, like teaching me how to just focus on the present, um, you know, and not, not just be like a person, you know, a chicken with their head running cut off. Um, staying in the moment, uh, that's what tomorrow is all about. Yeah, I think that'll be very, very important, like you said, once you get to Forest Hill tomorrow. So I'm curious, um, 2019 was kind of a cool year. And, and to say that, you know, running in the 80s is still not, not that cool, but historically a cool year. We're looking at a very hot year tomorrow, like triple digits potentially in Auburn. 
Have you done anything in prep for that? Are you excited about the heat? Are you terrified about the heat? What's going on in your head looking at tomorrow's race weather? Anything changing in the plan or making adjustments on the fly? I'm super excited for the heat. The hotter, the better. I want to see that mercury go up. Uh, I, I personally think it's one of the coolest parts of this race is to see how runners handle this um, super extreme uh, temperature challenges. I mean, maybe this is slightly controversial, but I do think a lot of heat adaptation is genetic, which is a really boring answer. But um, I know I do well in the heat. I'm going to do all of the, the important things, ice bandana, fully submerging, you know, getting as wet as possible. But like, you know, you got to make sure your heart rate's not getting too high, take adequate salt. Like, it's just like any other day if it were 80 degrees, 70 degrees. I... Um, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> and I think the heat will be what it is. So Claire, we've got a great question here in our chat from Saul Ramirez. And what he asks is, from an outsider's perspective, Claire seems incredibly carefree and embodies the spirit of running free. What do these competitive and publicly broadcasted races mean to her? I think in, in other words, like you do seem so carefree, but you're obviously a competitive person. And we saw the race in 2019 come down to the very last miles. How do you balance Claire, the, uh, the carefree person with Claire, the supreme competitor? Thanks for that question. Who is it, Saul? Saul. It was super uh, nice of you. Yeah, I think that's one of our challenges, all of us, right, is balancing being like a, a you know, tolerable person in everyday life um, <laughs> that's not totally hung up on like the minute of competitiveness. And then and then the beauty of running is like when the gun goes off, then that's a race. Like that's when I'm gonna be competitive. Um, I think protecting my competitive juices is really important. And so I try and do that um, by living my life like with as much joy and like gratitude as possible. You know, this is like amazing. We're all here right now, right? Like who thought we would be here a year ago? And tomorrow, yeah, it's a race. Like we're not, we're not gonna like hug it out the whole day, <laughs> but uh, we might as well enjoy ourselves now, you know? So I know that the 2019 race, as you mentioned, took a lot out of you. And I think it's hard, all of us are hungry to race, hungry to travel potentially after a year of, of being home. Looking, obviously, maybe you're not looking past this race at all. Maybe the, the season does not have any plans past Sunday morning, and that's totally fine. But is there anything that you're excited about now that the world's opening up, now that we've got more opportunities to race and travel beyond this weekend? Yeah, I uh, purposefully don't put any races on my calendar. Um, I learned that kind of the hard way. In 2017, I DNF'd this race at mile 93. I don't recommend that. Um, if anyone's considering DNFing at mile 93, just don't. Um, <laughs> and, and to be honest, I think back to the mental elements of this sport, I had a pretty stacked rest of my year that year. You know, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I got CCC in a couple months. I got XY, I got North Face at the end of the year. And, and in 2019, I didn't sign up for any races after Western States. And, and that allowed me to show up here. You know, I've got 100 miles to run. 
I'm gonna treat every single mile with respect and and you know the effort it deserves, and then uh, we'll see what happens on Monday. Like then I'll start thinking about the rest of the year. I, I will say I think it's really sweet. So the the trail running. International Federation has kind of gotten their shit together and, and created, a, you maybe have already talked about this, a world championships all under one roof. So all of the short distance world championships will happen in conjunction with the long distance trail running championships. That'll be in November in Thailand. And the US team is resume based. So like I will apply to that team. Um, I think it's exciting that uh, our sport's getting a little more organized. <laughs> Hopefully you guys will. Amen, well. amen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. Um, I, I'm excited for the U.S. to actually show up at these races in, in a little bit uh, like more legitimate forms than in years past. Amazing. Claire Gallagher, you're an amazing champion of the race. You're an amazing champion of the sport. I love the lessons of training on uh, relatively minimal volume, of being carefree but also competitive, and of not DNFing at mile 93. <laughs> Everybody remember that at your next 100 mile race. Don't DNF at mile 93. Big round of applause for the defending champion, Claire Gallagher. Thanks. Big round of applause for Corinne and Dylan, who have been here for like three days, just baking in the sun. Just getting a great tan. Next yeah, up. You guys make our sport cool, so thanks. Thanks, Claire. Next up from Bend, Oregon, the legend, Max King. Okay, we are back for our final athlete interview of Western State Live 2021 with the legend of Bend, Oregon, Mr. Max King, back for his second Western States 100. Your first one was back in 2014. Let's start with what you remember from 2014, why you're back again in 2021. I just remember it like, oh, it's so painful. It's so painful. That's why it's taken seven years to get to this point where I want to run another one. Um, yeah, it's, um, Western States is special to me. I grew up um, in Elk Grove. You know, my dad still lives there. Uh, grew up on the, like, you know, in this area. So that's why Western States, as far as 100 goes, it's kind of like the first one you ever hear about if you, you know, if you're from California. Um, and so that's kind of where it comes from. It's just special to me um, because I've known about it for so long. So, but why is 2021? Why are you back now? Oh, uh, just because I got myself in good enough shape. <laughs> to make race a, your way to, in. To race my way in, yeah. Yeah, I think when I saw you at the finish line of Canyons back in April, you, I think you like, I think you were happy with where you finished. You're happy to have a golden ticket, but maybe at the same time, dreading the fact that you had gotten that golden ticket and yeah. had to make an appearance. Yeah, here. definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I knew, well, that's, that was the whole goal. Like the whole goal of the year was race canyons, make it into Western States. And then once you do that, you're like, oh God, I got to run a hundred miles. Yeah. I've made a terrible <laughs> you start mistake. To, start to realize that mistake you just made. You're like, oh crap. I totally understand that feeling. I would say though, so looking at your career, I think it's fair to say that you're probably the most versatile runner I personally know of. I think that's a, a Dylan non-controversial, one of the best uh, athletes across all ranges. I think in the history of the sport. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's a fair compliment. So we'll follow it up with a question. I promise. So, um, looking at your race history. You've done 200 miles, Leadville in 2016 and Western States in 2014. Is that what we just said? Yep, 2014. Yep. Um, 
I would say, and I think this is fair, that that is maybe the one distance that you have not completely figured out yet. And there's the old wound you picked and at. And there's the old yep. wound that I'm picking yep. at. What, if anything, you know, like, obviously you're here for a reason. What, like, what do you think you've learned from those experiences that you're going to bring forward into the race tomorrow? Well, I obviously learned, like, the, the two wasn't enough. <laughs> no, um, I, th I mean, you know, there's always those things you learn from those bad races. And, when, and a bad race is always going to be a better learning experience than a good race. And so, you know, with those two, like, I learned... I learned a ton. Um, I learned things about nutrition. I learned things about pacing. Hopefully, I learned things about pacing um, and things like that. And then, you know, you come come back to one like seven years later and you're like, oh, crap, I think I forgot everything that I learned in the last race because it's been so long. So hopefully, I haven't totally forgotten everything that I learned. But I mean, you know, you you become more confident over the years. You become stronger. Your training gets better. And I think that's where I'm at now is, like, I'm at a, at a point where I feel more confident going in than I did at, at, in either of those races. Um, and hopefully I'm healthier. Hopefully, like, I've figured things out that I didn't know then, um, and I'll be able to kind of correct those as we go through the race. Uh, hopefully I've learned a little bit more about pacing. Um, Canyon's actually, you know, two months ago taught me a lot about that. Um, and I'll kind of treat it similarly and not run off the front, hopefully, this time. That was so, a good learning experience. Yeah, yeah. You did run off the front in 2014, I remember, because I was running that year as well. And I remember you saying something fairly interesting about how you were going to just run your pace and that oftentimes when you sort of force yourself to run slower, it doesn't necessarily work for you, but it sounds like you're going to be taking a different approach here in 2021 and, and probably letting some of the faster, younger athletes go, even though you have similar talent. Yeah, am I? I mean, am I really gonna do that? Uh, that's my question. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> that's my plan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> am I gonna do that? I don't know. Um, I would. You know, I, I don't think it's a matter of like letting the younger, faster athletes go, um, as opposed to just being a little bit smarter and knowing that um, I, ca I can't. I can't run that pace quite that fast um, and then have enough in the last 20. And I've, I've gotten my, my body to where like I can run slower now and I feel more comfortable at that pace. Um, and so like the endurance is better than it was seven years ago. Uh, the strength is better. All of that sort of stuff is better than it was seven years ago. And so that's where, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out, but I'm, I'm more confident in what I'm gonna do. So one thing that I think is really interesting, we've talked to a lot of different runners with a lot of different training methodologies coming into a race like this. And I know something that you did recently was actually a huge adventure race, a very, very, very hard adventure race in Oregon. I think your team was one of only five teams to clear the whole course. Obviously that is, you know, in a cumulative time, much longer than what you're gonna be doing tomorrow. Is that, are you taking anything from that from experience and translating it back down to the 100? Yeah, I mean, so in doing that race, like it was, it was, it was called America's toughest race. I mean, they they specifically tried to make this race very, very difficult, and they and they succeeded. I mean, there were five teams that finished the entire course. Um, a couple of those teams were pro teams. We were like what I would call an amateur team, just because we were um, brand new to the sport. Although we had a bunch of professional athletes on the team, um, and so like yeah, it was a very tough race, but. At the same time, like it's a very different discipline and you're switching disciplines back and forth all the time. And because of that extended amount of time, it took us a hundred hours to finish, so four days. And you're like, holy crap, four days, like that's a long time. It's yes, it's a long time, but you're moving a lot slower too. 
And what I kind of like going into that race, I'd already made that decision to do that race before I got into Western. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I got to do it. It may not be the best decision, but we'll see what happens. And what I took away from that race was being out there that long. Like you're in some of these segments, like we had a 10 hour paddle, which was about 60 miles. We had an 80 mile mountain bike ride that took 20 hours. Um, so, you know, it was like most of the day and we weren't traveling very quickly, um, but you were just out there. Um, and that made the time go a lot quicker. And you kind of got used to that that pacing of just moving forward and always like trying to keep moving. And, and that I think kind of translates really well to hundred milers where, you know, it doesn't matter about how much or how fast you're going. It's just about continuing to move forward. And I think that'll help going into this. So, so back to the canyons, hundred K where you earned your golden ticket just a couple of months ago, you had an amazing race with Anthony Costales who won the race and who unfortunately can't be here this weekend. I think due to injury, he's had to pull out of the field, but talk about that race a little bit. I, it takes place on the Western States trail. Much of it, you had a very strong performance, but you did miss a turn and battle back. Uh, ultimately you and Anthony would have had an amazing, uh, race if that hadn't been the case. So what did you, how'd you feel about that hundred K race after a year off of racing in 2020? I mean, you know, obviously the, the end result was great. So I, overall, I felt really good about it. Um, I was happy with the way that things went. I mean, you, like you said, it was on the Western States course and it gave me a good, like kind of preview, a backwards preview of, of tomorrow. Um, and then, you know, going through that race, like I took that wrong turn right before Michigan Bluff. It's like, oh, that was stupid. I got out to the paved road, realized like, this is not where I should be. Turned around, headed back, lost about 10 minutes. And like you said, like I was um, at, at Michigan Bluff, I was 12 minutes behind Anthony. And then I made up two minutes because I was about 10 minutes behind him in the finish. So like it would have been, you know, it, it would have been exciting to see like what, what, what would have happened um, like over those last couple of miles, uh, just racing him. I think it would have been a head to head battle and it would have been really fun. And I wish that he was going to be here to, to, run, to run tomorrow just because I think it'd be cool to see him in the, his first 100 miler too. Um, but it was a great race for me. I mean, I, I moved up over the last like, um, 10, 15 miles. I finished strong, which, um, you know, obviously you guys have already pointed out that that doesn't happen all that often. Um, and so like, it was, it was a good quality performance. And so that gave me a lot of confidence going into tomorrow. So I've got a question, something that we talked about before we jumped on the air a little bit here is that the pandemic year robbed you of your first year in a new age category. So you're coming into this at 41. There's, there are master's records on the line. Is that something that you're thinking about this year? Well, um, not really. So my goal this year is to run faster than I did in two, 2014. If I do that, then if I run the same time, then I'll run 36 fa seconds faster than the master's record. So that's my goal. Which is held by Mike Morton in right. actually a similarly hot year. Okay. He ran that in 2013. Okay. So, but in a similar vein, Max, being a master's athlete now, again, you're somebody who's just had so much range and so much consistency over the course of your career. What do you attribute that to? How can other runners in the sport sort of emulate and follow in your footsteps and, and have a long, healthy career? Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to attribute it to any like one thing. It's, it's kind of one of those things where I've just kind of kept going and I feel like the continuity in my career is kind of what has uh, like 
continued to keep me at a very high level. Um, and that has, that has been a good thing. And with injuries and stuff, I've gotten lucky. Like I've had a good career that, that way. Um, I have had injuries, obviously, over the last couple of years, especially, but I'm always working on trying to correct those and get better and learn from them and then figure out like what went wrong and then correct that so I'm healthier next time. So, but are there any sort of little things that you do that you think of particularly helped over the course of your career, strength training, body work, anything like that? I mean, I th yeah, I mean, I think all of that stuff, like, right? I mean, all of that stuff that you do, you're continually trying to become a better athlete. So it's like, whether you're um, working on your recovery, um, I've done strength training in the past, which I think helps at times, but then other times it doesn't help as much. Um, and so kind of uh, striking that balance between all of those things. One thing I always do try to do is, uh, you know, take care of myself, do a lot of rolling, um, you know, stretching, rolling, recovery type things, stuff like that. So, so we had a, I think it was a quote yesterday, maybe from Hayden Hawk saying that, you know, you all have a plan to do one thing and then the gun goes off and that plan goes out the window. And I know that we've talked about, you know, pacing is kind of a, a priority maybe this year in order to, you know, run a time that, you know, we, I think you and we think you're very capable of on this course, knowing that when the gun goes off, sometimes those plans go out the window are you going into this race this weekend with any, you know, a mantra or something that you're going to tell yourself in order to kind, you know, potentially try to rein it in if you need to in the early stages of the race? Yeah, I mean, like when I'm doing that, when you're in those early stages, it's it's just don't push. Like, don't be pushing. Don't feel like you're pushing. Don't push. Like, I should be running very, very comfortable. And that's those early mantras in the race. And then after that, it becomes just keep running. 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 Left <laughs> foot, right foot, left foot, right yeah. foot. Yeah. Cool. Max, uh, before we let you go, we want to ask one question from our chat here on YouTube, and that is just what is your favorite distance to race? I think, you know, my favorite distance is definitely going to be a little less than 100 miles. <laughs> um, I, 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 like, I like the half marathon to 50K distance. Like, that range is really fun to me. Like, you can run hard, run fast and race, uh, really feel like you're racing. That's how it feels to me. So I like that. Well, Max, you're a fan favorite. Uh, welcome back to the Western States 100. We're all really looking forward to see you run this course again for the second time. It's been seven years. Uh, good luck to you tomorrow. Go get out of the sun, kick your feet up. Big round of applause for Mr. Max Thank King. you guys so much for having me on. So. Okay, in just a second, we're gonna do something really fun. We're gonna sit down with Megan Hicks of I Run Far and Andy Jones Wilkins, another legend of ultra running. We're gonna talk all about the field. We're gonna do a little analysis, prognostication of what we expect, talk about historical analogs and all sorts of other interesting stuff. So stick around. Okay, okay, welcome back everyone. This is the final session of Western States Live. It is the day before the Western States 100 here in Olympic Valley. We've got an amazing panel of experts to talk all about the race. We're gonna go through some of the course conditions, the weather conditions. We're gonna talk about the men's and women's fields and just generally help the general public get to know the race a little bit more and some of the characters in the field. We've got a helicopter hovering above us now. Hopefully that doesn't screw with the audio too much. Anyway, to introduce our guests, of course, I'm Dylan Bowman, Megan Hicks of I Run Far, Andy Jones-Wilkins, Corinne Malcolm again. I think, how many finishes do you have here? 
Zero. Zero. <laughs> so t together we've got 15 finishes on this panel, <laughs> but AJW has 10 of them. So I've got three, Corinne has two, uh, but we've, we've been around the block. And, and Megan, even though she has zero, of course, probably knows more than the three of us combined. So I'm a great stalker of all of you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So guys, I think uh, I'll just sort of tee up some questions, let you guys riff off them, and then occasionally sort of sprinkle my own perspective in. I wanted to just start with, uh, obviously, the weather. This is something that people are talking about all week. We're looking at quite a hot day. When I checked this morning, it said the high in Auburn would be around 102. Maybe, Andy, we'll start with you. What are some historical analogs? How does this year's weather conditions compare to years past? Well, like Craig said uh, in his interview yesterday, it seems like once a decade, there's a very hot year as opposed to a hot year. Uh, this is shaping up to be somewhere between 1995 and 2006, uh, maybe a little hotter than 2013. So probably in the top five in terms of heat, in terms of Auburn. Now, as I think people know, the, the heat leading up to race day often impacts the, uh, the conditions, particularly in the canyons. There hasn't been as much preheating. You, you imagine putting a pizza stone into your oven before cooking your pizza. That's kind of what the canyon walls are doing right now. Um, but I suspect it'll be in the very hot uh, realm and, uh, and that'll probably impact finishing times. I do think one of the fun things that you can see when you look through time is that uh, if it's a very hot year, the race starts to shake out earlier. Uh, we start seeing people looking touched by the heat as early as dusty corners in the, in the 40, 45 mile range. And at Michigan Bluff, another you know, 10, 15 miles later, it becomes pretty clear who's going to be in it for the second half of the race versus who's not. Whereas when you get a sort of moderate year like we had last time in 2019. The race doesn't shake itself out until Forest Hill or possibly even going down Cal Street. So that's, that's always exciting. It'll be fun to see if this year tracks on history. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting. I think I was one of three athletes that were upset in 2019 that it was a cool year because I look at the weather as the great leveler of this race. I personally do not think of myself as a super fast runner, but I know that I'm tough and I can deal with the conditions. And so I think on weather years like this, it gives the race this kind of extra level of intrigue and we don't know what's gonna happen. I don't think there's a clear favorite all of a sudden and I think it makes for a much more exciting race for the fans, exciting race for you know anyone watching at home or even out on course, but I do know that it'll be a very hard year for the runners because of that, but I do know that there are people probably like me who are very excited that the weather is shaping up to be like this because it's not gonna be a drag race, it's gonna have to be a smart, thoughtful race by all the competitors. I also think it's really fun that the heat is something that you can adapt your body to. Like this is not an insurmountable challenge. And apparently there's going to be five pounds of ice per person at every aid station. So uh, there's enough. Use it. <laughs> there's enough for you to put it in every part of your body and pack. Um, this is something that you can all deal with, that we can all deal with. So... Staying on the subject of heat for a little bit, I think one of the things that you can combine with the heat to make the race even more interesting is the fact that we had a year off. And I think there's a lot of people who are eager to get out on the course. There's going to be a lot of competitive juices flowing early in the race. When you combine that with the heat, how do you guys think that might impact the competitive end of the race? You know, we have, we have one other tidbit of historical evidence, which was the last and only other time the race was canceled in 2008. 
and and it was a very different type of cancellation. It canceled uh, just three days before. But nonetheless, we had a whole year without Western states. We didn't have a whole year without any races <laughs> like we have this time around, but a whole year without Western states. I remember being right here and at that starting line in 2009, and you could just feel the adrenaline. You, know, you feel the adrenaline at the start of Western States every year, but it was two years worth of adrenaline. And everybody reacts to adrenaline differently. Uh, and we saw it that year. There was, it was a relatively benign temperature year, but just going off the start, uh, you just saw people like Hal Kerner, who ended up winning, taking it a little bit more careful than some of the other front runners. And eventually they all came back to Hal and he won his second consecutive race that year. So there is going to be a factor that we can't can't completely measure that's just about how insane that adrenaline is going to be at 4.30 tomorrow morning. Are you sure that's not going to be just your adrenaline? <laughs> Enough for all of us? Because I don't know about you, but I can feel it right now. Um, I think we have to also combine the, the year off of this race with the fact that the high country is in really good condition. Um, and maybe you're going to talk about that some more. But um, yeah, I mean, that can totally change. A little extra energy plus really good running conditions early in the race, I think, is really going to change the, the scene. Yeah, I did want to talk about that. I obviously haven't been on the course except for running over the escarpment in a thunderstorm yesterday <laughs> with a jacket on. It was wild. It was amazing. Good practice for hard rock, I guess. But um, uh, have you guys heard anything about the conditions of the course? Obviously, it's going to be a snow-free year. Is there anything else uh, that we should consider? Do we know if we're going to be crossing the river in a boat or uh, under our own power this year? It's under your own power this year, which yes. is great. It's a pure Western States, no boats on foot the entire way. You know, there- With Jim Walmsley swimming, perhaps? Yeah, right. <laughs> Hold on to the rope. There are, uh, you know, Tim Tweetmeyer and, and, uh, uh, and Fitz, Fitz and a couple other guys typically go up and mark like right now. And uh, they come back and tell us, I, I think it's going to be clean and dry. They'll, you know, as Craig will probably mention it at the pre-race briefing. Um, it's going to be fast. Uh, you, for those of you who ran in 2017, there was a, there had been some decommissioned trails and it was really muddy and that's all cleaned up now. And so I think it's going to be a pretty fast track. Which I think is interesting because usually the early miles are kind of the equalizer of the strength runners versus the speed runners. And, um, you know, having uh, for for people who may not usually be as good on mud or technical terrain, having a runnable high country may aid them, let's just say that. Like they don't have to apply their lesser or less developed strength skills. But then there is the problem of, do we take it too fast? Because it's so runnable this year. I would add too that, sorry about that, oh, from, okay. from my, while, while many people still consider the high country all the way to Robinson Flat, from Red Star Ridge to Duncan Canyon and Duncan Canyon to Robinson Flat gets hot early, especially <laughs> Duncan Canyon to Robinson Flat. There've been a fire a few years ago, it's really exposed. So while most people are thinking, oh, I'm in the high country for the first 30, it's gonna be cool, it probably won't be. Yeah, it gets really hot there very early. In 2018, I was one of those runners who's like, oh, we're in the high country, it'll be fine. No, no, those early, between those early aid stations, it can get really hot through that old burn. So it, it is interesting. I mean, at the same time, we watched athletes struggle in the snow in both the snow and mud in 2017 and then some of the snow again um, in 2019. And, you know, some of us run on snow during the year and it's very familiar and it's, some of us don't. And it froze really hard actually in 2019 and that made the snow much easier to run on 
than in years past. So it will shape up the race a little bit differently early on. I think having it in good in good shape. I mean, also we need to give major kudos to the race organizers and the race organization because they do a ton of work to make those trails runnable because they're after, I don't know where anyone else is living, but 2020 meant a lot of trail work did not happen. And so many of our trails were in disrepair. There was plenty of blowdowns. And so they've been doing a lot of work to make sure that the course is gonna run really smoothly by cleaning all that stuff up. Great, so let's talk a little bit about the professional field, starting with the women's race. Any high level sort of storylines that you guys are following before we kind of get more into the favorites and make our picks for the, for the win? I think it's just important for us to put the 2019 women's race in context as we start tomorrow. Um, Claire Gallagher and Brittany Peterson changed the course of women's mountain 100 mile ultra running by finishing seven minutes apart in, in the second and fourth fastest time in race history on not a cold year. Like they changed what long distance women's ultra running is about. We're entering a new era courtesy of that. I would concur. I was chasing them around in 2019, literally. And to see them come into the Pointed Rocks aid station side by side, snot and sweat flying, water bottles going, you know, people cheering. You know, there were like men around and there were other people around, but it was like they were the two only runners on the course in that moment. I mean, Claire put the hammer down, got a little bit of a gap by a no hands bridge, but man, it was incredible. And I mean, if we see anything even close to that again, I mean, I think we forget that that was comparable to Jim King, Jim Howard in the mid eighties. It really was. And so is we that mustn't first, lose sight of that. Is that the first time we've ever seen something like that in the women's race of the Western States 100? Definitely, 100%. definitely, no doubt. I think Magda and Kat's finish in 2017 would probably be the next closest to that, where there was a clear race going on, and I think a lot of us weren't sure how that was going to pan out over the final 20 miles. I think what's really interesting, and I think we've talked about this a lot, as far as like how do you get that to happen in a race like this, and truly it takes putting a ton of bodies on the line, a ton of very fit, fast bodies on the line. That means having a good, deep, elite field. That means them getting to the start line healthy because that's gonna pull people out of it, right? Like we've seen we've seen drops already in the elite field in the last couple weeks as far as you know who's gonna make it to the start line healthy. So in order to make those competitive moments happen, I think the sport has gotten to a spot where our fields are getting deep enough to allow that to happen over the course of a 100 mile day where there's going to be attrition naturally. Agree, I think, um yeah, it, it's just really important as we go tomorrow with the understanding that while for the fans having a race come down to seven minutes at 100 miles, like that's the best show on earth. Like statistically, we're probably not going to get something like that again for another couple of years. So who knows? But that was fun. And if there's any women out there who want to do that again, I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, as Corinne said, it is sort of the trajectory of the sport right now. It is getting more competitive. It is getting closer. It is getting more exciting. I remember the days when you basically knew what place you were going to finish four hours before you got to the finish line. And <laughs> I've had a few of those very close battles myself and they're, they're not particularly fun, but uh, it is really fun as a spectator and as a fan of the sport. So we can root for that. The four of us at least can. Uh, so let's talk more about the characters in the race and any sort of people you guys consider as favorites in the women's field and maybe dark horses too? Beth Pascal. Period. Beth Pascal. Full stop. We'll see what happens. Expand I mean, on that. Yeah, she finished fourth uh, as her first experience here at Western States as a Brit experiencing Western States. Like, I don't know if you've been to England, but the kind of weather that's here 
doesn't occur there ever at all. Um, so Beth Pascal's two years more experienced in the sport. She's a different runner. She proved that she's a whole new ultra runner by setting a new record on the Bob Graham round during the pandemic last year. Um, and she's been here for a couple months training specifically in high desert, hot terrain. Um, she will be a force. Yeah, I think her having the experience from 2019 will be incredibly valuable going into this. And I think that's the story of, of both fields in a way is that we've got this group of runners who have experience at the race that are very good. We've got this group of runners who um, have experienced the 100 mile distance, but not this race specifically. And then we've got the group of runners who are, have never run 100. And to me, those are kind of three distinct groups that have their own strengths coming into the day. And it's kind of hard to know, you know, what will happen between that, you know, I've got, you know, I've got my hopes that some of these gals who this is their their debut hundred can have really special days. But on a hot year at a new distance, that could be a really huge challenge to overcome. We've seen it happen before. We've seen, you know, great runs out of like Lucy here in 2018. That was, I think, a pretty phenomenal debut hundred on this course, running aggressively early. And so I wonder, you know, will they have learned from that and will they be patient? Will they be hungry early? I, I don't know. I think that those are the three distinct groups lining up this weekend. Well, call me a homer, but I'm going with Brittany Peterson. Uh, and uh, she, I know what it feels like to have that second place stuck in your craw. I know that she comes, her significant other Cody, as a long family lineage. You had Paul Lind on, uh, on the show a little bit earlier. Dr. Lind was, is, a, is a force, a, a legend here at the race. He unfortunately passed away. And that energy, that vibe, Dr. Lind is looking down so happy that it's going to be 102. And, uh, and I tell you what, my money's on Brittany because she's got what it takes. She's got that second place stuck in her craw. Oh, she's here now? I know. I didn't even know. Hey, Brittany! There she is. <laughs> and, Dr., and Dr. Lind, I mean, I have, I have so much. Uh, uh, the, the, the Lind clan, I, I'm going with that. I'm sure Beth's going to be fantastic. I'm sure Claire's going to be fantastic. I'm sure the depth. Uh, I'm pulling, of course, for Casey. She acknowledged yesterday that she wants her 10-day buckle. She's going to hopefully get her seventh tomorrow. So uh, there's a lot of people to pull for in the race. I don't think we can discount our three pretty phenomenal international ladies who are here, Audrey Tangui, Ruth Croft, and um, Ragna DeBotz, especially Ragna. I think uh, a lot of people peg her as a, a mountain runner because that's where he, we've seen her uh, perform her best. But I was at Marathon de Saab in 2019 when she won, and hot runnable course, she was in the top 10 men most days, which is a, mm. is a super challenging thing with that field. If I could just add something myself, I think maybe the single most interesting person in the race this year is Ruth Croft from New Zealand. She's an amazing athlete. She's had incredible success at shorter distance races, but she's just so consistent, which I think is the mark of a real champion. This is her first 100 miler, uh, and she's got all the talent that it takes, I think, to win the race. Doesn't have the experience, but clearly a competitor, and I think somebody who's going to really change the dynamic of the women's race. Agree. Little known fact, she lived in Taiwan. So uh, this type of heat, I mean, combined this heat with humidity, and that's what she trained and raced and ran in. So I don't, I don't think the heat's going to bug her tomorrow. Any maybe dark horses who aren't getting the maybe attention that people like Ruth and Claire and Brittany and Beth are getting? Corinne? 
Yeah, so I mean, I've got, I've got two gals in particular that I'm really curious to see how they do. One is in my teammate, Abby Hall, who has run the 100 mile distance before. And, and honestly, it's a fair, a fair assessment that she has not, I think, run to her potential there. But she put in an incredibly focused training block. She had a great run at Canyon's 100K, and I know how tough she is. And then Keely Henninger, who also, she's not run this distance before, but I think, and she's coming off a year of injury and kind of a year of maybe changing her training style quite, quite significantly. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what she has and what she can do over this distance. Who knows how it will play out, but I, you know, I'm definitely pulling, I think, for both Abby and Keely to have really special days out there. Those are my surprise ladies, too. Beautiful. So let's move to the men now. Any sort of top level storylines, favorites, dark horses? Maybe you start. Go ahead, Andy. Just riff. I think if it's a hot day and everything goes the way it's planned, no one's going to touch Anton. <laughs> Wait, he's, he's not racing? Oh, that, sorry. Thank you, Billy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, Anton's not here. Everybody can calm down. Uh, no, I think it's, I, it's, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's a predominantly American field this year at the front of the pack. Uh, I, think the, I think the dynamic of Jared and Jim, I'm pulling for Jared, uh, just uh, similar to the way I am with Brittany on that, that second place craw, that stuck in the craw, either the way he ran last year, or in two, 2019, was just inspiring, uh, having to just chase, 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 chase all day. No doubt the hometown boy of Tim Tollefson is an, is an intriguing, is an intriguing story. You know, as are the uh, older gentlemen in the race, uh, Jeff Browning back again as a 49 year old, Max King, who was just here, uh, I, Jorge Maravilla after several years away, the guy I'm pacing, Scott Wolf, you know, you've got some 40 somethings that are going to be around at the end. And I think the, the heat and the, uh, the way in which experience will come into play is going gonna, is gonna to matter. And don't fall asleep on Matt Daniels. Uh, he's been picking the brain of a lot of the veterans, including fellow tall guy uh, Tim Tweetmeyer and <laughs> Dylan Bowman. <laughs> and so uh, I think, uh, think there's so many different uh, plot twists that can happen. Yeah, I think what's really fun is the Jim and Jared race of 2019. Uh, we're going into it with a totally different scene setup this time. Uh, Jim has had a, now that we we know sort of the full story of the last couple of months. Jim has had an alternate training block, whereas Jared has had a more developed training block than he had going into the 2019 race. And uh, yeah, like lots of potential for high drama there. But I, I do have to say like, Jim is obviously the favorite, but if there's any year for Jared to win it, uh, this is his year. And a guy who's run 14, sub 14.30 at Western States deserves a Cougar. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, the fastest time to never win the race is, is pretty insane. I think of the men's race as there's kind of this front running crew and then there's like the cleanup crew. And in a hot, in a hot year, you've got to be really afraid of that cleanup crew. And that's going to be Jeff Browning, Kyle Patari, uh, Mark Hammond, uh, Tyler Green. These guys that if anyone messes up, Drew Holman, Alex Nichols, anyone that messes up, these guys are taking the win. They're taking the top three spots, the top five spots. So you've got to watch out for those guys. And they are going to be a constant threat to the front runners like Jared Hazen, Jim Walmsley, Tim Tolufson, Hayden Hawks, right? Like who knows? Like he, I think, has gained respect for this distance over the last two years, but we haven't seen that successfully translate yet to this, this race. So I think it's, you know, once again, that story of experience here, experience in the 100 mile distance, 
kind of racing styles in particular. Um, and then I'm also really curious, I think my, my dark horse is probably Pat Regan. Um, he ran here in 2019. I think he loves the heat. He did run a road 100 recently, but if anyone can run a road 100 in you know late April and then turn around to Western States, it's probably him. Um, so I'm really excited to see how he does as well this weekend. I love how a guy who finishes in 2019's top 10 is a dark horse yeah. still. Yeah. But it, in this field, right? It's insane. Yeah, I, I call it the racehorses versus the workhorses. I mean, you, you said it well. I mean, we've got Jim Walmsley, Jared Hazen, Matt Daniels, Tim Tollefson, Hayden Hawks, really, is the crew that I see as the racehorses. And race we're forgetting horses. and leaving out people easily in this quick thing. Because right, it's like but, the but field those are the guys good. who I think, you know, have the, the speed and talent, the aggressiveness, who are sort of in the prime of their careers. And then we've got the workhorses, guys that you mentioned, Drew Holman, Tyler Green, Alex Nichols, Mark Hammond, who's been top five three times, and, you know, you hardly hear his name. Yeah, add in Eric Sensman and Steve Kirsch to that mix exactly. all of a sudden. It's like, yeah. how do you fit all these men into 10 spots? You can't, and the women's race is going to play out the same so, way. So I have a question. Obviously, Jim Walmsley has changed the game in the last six or seven years, however long he's been in the sport. He clearly hasn't had the perfect lead up to the race training wise like he has in years past. Is it possible to win Western States without a perfect training block? Cue any dozens of ultra runners who've had success at ultra marathons around the world. I think this sport has proved that there is no perfect way to train for running 100 miles. There are people who run 70 mile weeks. There are people who run 140 mile weeks. There are people who do high intensity, you know, low overall volume. There are multiple paths to success. And yeah, I mean, I don't think that guy lost fitness while he was uh, taking some time off running, do you? I, I want to say that I think Jim may be coming into this better May not, may not be more fit, but better in his head. He started this race, every time he started this race, he was 100% confident. Cocky, brash, Muhammad Ali, right? He's not coming in that way. He's coming in with a, with a little bit of humility. I think coming into Western states, especially in a year it's gonna be 102 degrees, it's good to have a little bit of humility. And uh, I mean, he may not be in the lead at Michigan Bluff and people might be freaking out and then he might just stalk them down. Who knows, he might pull a browning on somebody, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, yes, he has done more, he has changed the sport and I think he could change it again tomorrow. I think one of the interesting things is just the psychological component, you know, because he gets so much of his, his confidence in the huge training blocks that he puts in over the course of three or four months at a time and just coming in with maybe a little bit less of that, that confidence in his own preparation, I think might impact both the way that he executes his race and ultimately, you know, his uh, finishing place. I think the impression that I've taken away from having to, you know, sit in the sun day after day and do these interviews, having to, it's been a joy. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, we've, we sat down with Hayden Hawks, with Jared Hazen, with Jim Walmsley, and I think, you know, those, what I took away from all their stories, having been, a, you know, a part of the sport and a spectator and a racer, was that I was impressed by all of their maturity and which, which is, I think, right, which has been earned and sought out and 
cultivated since, you know, each of them have, has entered the sport. And I think that that, you know, bodes well to maybe not having a perfect, a perfect training block going in and being able to take confidence from just like having grown into a different athlete or a, a different runner, a different human. Um, I think he released some of his Strava data yesterday and he still put in a 125 mile week with 42,000 feet of climbing. So, you <laughs> so know, he's ready for hard rock. So he's ready for hard rock, but it's like, yeah. you know, it's, I think that I, I was, blown away. Maybe it's my ignorance to some of their personalities, but I, I was really impressed with their composure and their kind of collected confidence, maybe quiet confidence, as opposed to, you know, these kind of like cocky brash statements. So I'm really thrilled to see what that looks like running. Yeah. I was just so impressed by the trio of Jared Hayden and Tim Tollefson in their interviews. They're all three in such a good place and they all three have had no hiccups in their training that I just feel like this is probably the most vulnerable Jim has ever been in this race. And it's just going to be really exciting. And obviously that's not to take anything away no from pressure. Jim. He's an absolutely incredible athlete and human being. So let's move on. Maybe let's, uh, make our, make our picks. Um, who wants to start men's and women's winners and, and maybe pick a time. I don't want to jinx anyone. I feel like me saying anything is bad. You're luck. trying to be an objective journalist right now. Aren't I'm you? trying to, I'm biased towards everyone is really the issue. So commentary is going to go great tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I had, you know, my, my perfect pick of the pick of the field tomorrow, I think that seeing Tim Tolfson win this would, I would probably be in tears at the finish line. I think doing that finish line interview would be insane. I don't, I think there wouldn't be a dry eye in the room. Um, and then honestly, I, I'm really excited to see, see Ruth and see what that, what Ruth looks like over a hundred miles. What about times? I don't think it's going to be a fast year. I think that the women's winning time is probably not going to be below 18 hours. Um, I don't think it's going to be, well, I think, you know, I think it's going to be like a, I, I mean, maybe they won't be in the cat Magda year. I think Magda was second with like a 1947. Um, so it could be, I think it could be a slow year. I don't think course records are going to go down. I think it could be one of those years where they're all on course record pace at Michigan, not at Michigan bluff at Robinson flat. And we're like, Oh no, that will deteriorate over the course of the race. So, um, you know, I think the men will win and maybe, a, a high 14, low 15, and then women's times will probably be, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be impressed if they're 1830 to 19 hours for the women's winning time. I got Jared Hazen in 15:15. So he's going to do almost. He's going to do almost exactly Timothy Olson's uh, 2013 win uh, with uh, with some with some chase going on. I think he gets a gap after Forest Hill. There's some people nipping at his heels up to Greengate, and then he puts the hammer down in the runnable stuff. And I got Brittany uh, just eking under uh, 18, probably 17.58. Very similar to Casey when she won, won and there were some front runners. Uh, Devin was here that year, a couple others that, that kind of went off the front. I think Lucy went out fast that year. Uh, so I see Brittany running a very similar race like that, just in the 1750s. I can't decide. <laughs> no. uh, for the women, I could really toss it up between Ragna DeBots, um, Brittany, as well as, uh, sorry, Beth. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've um, flip-flopped. We've lost Beth all of a sudden. You guys were like, one word, Beth. It's the heat. Um, the, the, I think the women's race is going to go further uh, than the men's mm. race in terms of it being decided later in the race. I could see the men's race being de decided by the river crossing or by Greengate. I would basically say exactly what AJW said. Jared 
low 15s. Um, I do think the women will turn out below 18, but we'll see. Hot take. It is going to be faster than we expect tomorrow is my prediction. I think the fact that it hasn't been extremely warm these last couple of days, as Andy said at the beginning of our conversation here, I think that really does impact the way that it feels on race day, because when it is extremely hot in the few days leading into the race, those canyons have been pre-baked to use your terminology, and it does become a lot more difficult and it feels a lot hotter. That is not the case this year. So I think we will see a men's champion in the in the 14s, I would say fairly close to mid 14s, I would say 1440. I'm going to go with Tim Tollefson, 1440, 1445, and Ruth Croft in 1748, also a quick women's time. Those are our predictions. Anything else to add? Maybe, Megan, tell us uh, where people can follow I Run Far tomorrow. Andy, tell us what you guys are, what you're doing tomorrow, and uh, we'll wrap it up. Sure, I Run Far is doing its uh, live race coverage like we have since 2011 here. We're at about 15 spots in the course, planning to do coverage every hour to hour and a half. We've got about 25 people in front of computer screens and out on the course to deliver that coverage. We're excited. I'm excited to be back volunteering. Uh, this will be my seventh year volunteering. I'll volunteer at Duncan Canyon and at Michigan Bluff, uh, and then do a little pacing and, um, and finish off doing a little announcing while Tropical John takes a break. But most of all, what I'm gonna do, and I hope everybody here and everybody watching, they're gonna be celebrating. The big victor here is this race that we're pulling it off at all. We're gonna give out trophies on Sunday, but yes, the big victor, is that we are all here in Olympic Valley gathering again, the first large ultra since the pandemic. And, and to me, that we need nothing more than that, just to see the energy around here, to the, the work that Dylan and Corinne and the crew have put in these last three days, the money Hoka's invested in this entire event, the fact that it's gonna go off pretty much as normal is just incredible. And we should, any chance you get to thank a volunteer, to thank a race organizer, please do so. Amen to that. This is the most amazing race. It's the most amazing weekend. It is the most amazing sport in the whole world. Thank you guys for coming out, listening to us chat for the last three days. Thanks to the people on YouTube as well. You can find us on the Western States YouTube channel all day tomorrow, myself and Corinne Malcolm. Thank you to Andy. Thank you to Megan. Thank you to all of our guests. Thank you to Hoka. Thank you to Buff for making this all possible. We will see you tomorrow, 4.30 a.m. right here on YouTube. I'm going to get out of the sun. I'm going to kick my feet up. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, that's it for our live interview show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really hope that you did enjoy this series. We had a lot of fun putting it together. If you did enjoy it, please do give us a shout. Let us know if there's things that you would have preferred to see that we didn't cover. Please give me a shout as well. I'd love to hear that too. You can always just hit me up on Instagram at Dylan Bow. Again, we will see you tomorrow starting at 4.30 a.m. on the Western States YouTube channel. We will then be broadcasting Corinne and I nonstop at least through the top 10 women's finishers, but the full race day live stream will go 30 hours. So you can watch the entirety of this year's Western States 100 on their YouTube channel. Link to it in the show notes if you haven't subscribed already. Please do do that now. Okay.
Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate all the support this week. We love you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.